Great, thank you. It is brilliant to be with you. Uh, my name is Drew and I work with Scripture Union uh, and so I am the Outreach Ministry Leader with Scripture Union which basically means that I have the great joy of leading our summer uh, activities, so all of our camps and missions and so that's my role. Um, and it's my joy to, to open and welcome you to this seminar where we're going to be thinking about mission and particularly mission in a local context. Uh, so if you're aware, this actually takes place as part of a stream of seminars that's been going on all week. Look at the Gospel of Luke and what, uh, looking at the four Gospels, sorry, and what that can teach us about different mission contexts. Today we're going to be looking at Luke and how that affects us with the people that we interact with in our locality. So we're going to be thinking about local mission. Um, Chris Agnew works with Exodus and we had to pull in Rick uh, just because we didn't know enough between the two of us, obviously, so we had to get Rick in. Uh, so we'll all be sharing at different stages throughout the seminar. Um, I want to just begin by, uh, by grounding us, I guess, in, in God's word. Um, and before I do that, I wonder what you think of when you hear the word mission or when you think of the word missionary. I wonder, uh, do you think of someone who's doing or has done a summer team? Uh, maybe it's about overseas aid that's delivered to, to really needy communities. Um, maybe missionaries are people that we pray for or we support financially in our church congregations. Maybe we, we think of mission as something that's for a select few who have a very particular set of skills, and it's definitely not for me as I do my nine-to-five. It's for them as they do theirs because they're better at that. I wonder, do you think of yourself as a missionary in your home, in your classroom, in your office space, at the supermarket? I wonder, wherever you find yourself, do you see that as your quote-unquote mission field? And maybe that's a simple question, but I actually wonder if the answer to it could make an impact on the way that you live your life. I wonder if you were to follow me around for a week, would you come to the conclusion that I see myself as a missionary for Jesus in every setting that I find myself in? And we're wanting to lay the foundation, as I said, of us thinking about this idea of local mission uh, by grounding ourselves in God's word. And so we're going to look at Luke chapter 9. If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to look at it, either electronically or physically. Um, we're just going to read, to start us off, we're just going to read the first six verses. Um, it will appear on the screen behind me, but it might be slightly tricky to read. But um, there we have it. So Luke chapter 9, the first six verses. When Jesus had called the twelve together... He gave them power and authority to drive out demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal those who were ill. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. And just to help us set the, the tone of how we do local mission, I just want to very quickly pull out four things from these six verses. And the first is from verse 1, where we read that Jesus called the twelve together and then sent them all out. And I'm, I'm slightly struck by that because he sends them all. There were some who would have been better at it than others. There are some who were the loudmouths, were the extrovert personalities, were those who were good at inspiring people. He sent them, but he also sent the quiet, the reserved, those in the background who actually through the rest of the Gospels we don't hear an awful lot about. But Jesus sent them all. And I think that's the same, exactly the same for us modern day followers of Jesus. And surely that gives us hope that we are all sent by Jesus, not just a select few. The second point I want to raise 
is again found in verse 1, that Jesus sends them out in his power, in his authority. You see, Jesus sends his disciples out. He did 2,000 years ago, and he still does today, in his power, in his authority. And that's significant because it's his mission. This has got nothing to do with us in some ways. We are the carriers of his good news to the world around us. And so it is in his power and in his authority that we go to fulfill his mission. See, surely this gives us hope because the power comes from him. It's all about his glory. It's not our own. So Jesus sends them all. He sends them out in his power and authority. Thirdly, from verse 3, he sends them out empty-handed. He, told, he tells them in verse 3, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. And often that's understood to, to mean that this is supposed to be a pretty short journey. They're just to go and come back pretty quickly. This is, it's about the brevity of that mission trip that they're on. But actually another interpretation that I was reading this week is actually that, that, that sometimes I think we feel like we need to be equipped and we need to carry an awful lot of stuff to go and do mission. So maybe we need to go and do some training. Maybe we need to learn the five steps of how to best share Jesus with my neighbors. Maybe we need to do a three-month course on how to do evangelism. Those things might be helpful. But actually, I think what Jesus is showing here is you have got all you need by just going yourself. This has got nothing to do with learning more knowledge. This is about you going and sharing your story of how Jesus has impacted your life. See, surely this gives us hope. Because this means that we already have all that we need to go and proclaim the gospel. The fourth thing comes from the last verse that we read in verse 6. That Jesus sends them to speak and to do. And this shows that when Jesus' followers went, not only did they go, but as verse 6 said, so they were sent out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. And what strikes me here is the link, the, the, the inexcusable link between word and action. They proclaimed the gospel, the good news, and they healed people everywhere. And I wonder, have we somehow disconnected the two? That we've thought that either you preach the word or you do social action. That's sometimes the language that's used around mission. But actually what Jesus is showing here is actually to make a real difference in the lives of people. You, you proclaim the gospel and you meet physical needs at the same time. Commentating on this passage, a guy called David Bock uh, gives a, a fairly scathing warning. So if you're easily offended, then apologies for this, but it's not my words, blame David. One of the great dangers of the church is that because of fear, we've lost our desire to minister in concrete action as we seek to share God's word. Notice it's, it's not either or. So we've lost our, our, as a result of fear, we've lost our desire to minister in concrete action as we seek to share God's word. Much evangelism today can be characterized as guerrilla strikes, where we venture in for a quick moment of sharing before returning home to our safe environment. When Jesus sent out his disciples, they were to trust in God's care and become directly engaged with those to whom they were ministering. They did not use guerrilla tactics of dogging the enemy and being in and out of sight, but used an infiltration strategy where their presence would be obvious. Those are incredibly challenging words, particularly for someone who organizes 46 teams to go and do short-term mission this summer across Northern Ireland. But how do we make sure that we are being true to the gospel that tells us that we go and we proclaim but also that we engage with the people that we meet in a way that isn't just in and out, and I hope you don't notice me. 
It's actually we want to make a difference in the communities that we're involved in. And we do that by proclaiming the good news of Jesus and bringing the hope that he has given us. And so if we were to summarize all of those four points, it's that God sends us all out to proclaim his kingdom in his power by engaging with the communities that we find ourselves in. And the way that we want to do the, uh, spend the rest of our time together is to think about three aspects of that, or maybe even three tensions involved in how we do local ministry. And Rick's going to start us off by thinking about how we're gathered and scattered. Um, brilliant. Uh, follow me, Jesus said, and I'm going to give you a really great life. Follow me, Jesus said, and I'm going to care for you really, really well. Follow me, Jesus said, and I'm going to help you get goosebumps in your arm whenever you sing worship songs. Follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you. I will make you fishers of men. I wonder if we lost that sense of challenge to the words of Jesus in our lives. You see, I don't know where, um, let's really up. Um, we're going to think of the first tension and how the first tension of mission is that Jesus gathered his disciples together but he also scattered them outwards to a hurting world in need. And you see Luke chapter 9, which Drew's already read for us, and I'm going to read a couple of verses from Luke chapter 10. These, these two chapters in the middle of the Gospel of Luke act as like a hinge point. A hinge point because the first few chapters Jesus has, has gathered his disciples. He's called them. He's called them to follow him. He's called them to um, be around his life. He has taught them. He has done miracles. He's served with them. They've journeyed together. They've ate together. They've walked together. They have been gathered as a community of disciples. But this hinge point in Luke chapter 9, first of all, in Luke chapter 9, where he sends out the 12, and then in Luke chapter 10, where he sends out 72 others, and he sends them out as well. It's like a hinge point because he's saying, actually, we've been gathered for a while, but now, now it's your turn. Now it's your turn. Because Jesus, up to this point, has been doing all of the ministry. He's been doing all of the, the teaching and the preaching and the, 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 the healing and, and the speaking to people and the reaching out. But actually now he says, now it's your turn to have a go. I wonder if you thought about the mission of your church and the mission of your life. I wonder, is it mostly done in a gathered sense or in a scattered sense? If I was to ask you, what does your church do when it comes to mission, I wonder how you might answer that question. What might you tell me? You might tell me about the programs that you run in your church. You might tell me about the outreach that goes on at specific times of the year. Or would you talk to me about the missional opportunities that your parents have at the school gate? I wonder, would you tell me about the missional opportunities that your people who work in offices from your church have on a Monday to Friday to talk to people about Jesus, maybe in their coffee break? I wonder, would you talk to me about the parents who are bringing up children and how they're trying to raise them in the ways of the Lord? How would you answer the question if I said, how are you doing mission as a church? Would you talk about what happens gathered or would you talk about what happens in the scattered or maybe both? Please hear me today. I'm not trying to set up one against the other, but I sometimes wonder if we've had an overemphasis on one rather than the other. And I find this, um, uh, these verses, sorry, come on. Come back. Find these verses from Luke chapter 10 really interesting. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others. So he sent the 12. Now he sent 72 others. Sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We've heard that lots, haven't we? The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. And sometimes I'm not sure if it's because we don't have enough workers. Sometimes I, I'm unsure if the workers know that it's actually their job. 
Do they know it's their job? But he sent them out. He gathered them together. He gave them instructions. And then he sent them out to the mission field, not to bring people back. But he said, go. Therefore, go. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Lambs among wolves. It's not very pastoral, is it? You know, I'm not really going to care for you here. I'm actually sending you out as lambs among wolves. It's a transitioning of scenes where Jesus has gathered his disciples, but the following is now leading to fishing. The following should always lead to fishing. It's the same for our lives, and I believe it's the same for our churches as well. I'm going to share some stories in a moment or some examples of this, but let me just show you this diagram. You may have seen this. It's not a, a new thing at all. It's not something I've created, um, but it's been released by uh, London Institute for Contemporary Christianity. It's a picture of church. What's your view of church? What's your picture of church? Perhaps your picture of church or mission is a few red dots in the corner of the world or the corner of your community or the corner of your our, our culture, and we're desperately clinging on. You know, we're small in number, there's few of us, but we're desperately shining our light. We're shining our light in a world full of gray. That is one picture of mission and church, and it's, it can be accurate. But I wonder if this is also a picture of church. As individual disciples and followers of Jesus, trying to live for him and share him in the culture around them when they are scattered, when they're scattered to their sports clubs, clubs, their homes, their workplaces, their offices, and their local communities. I want to take the rest of my time to share about Gathered and Scattered by sharing three quick examples of three different churches. I'm not going to name the churches, um, but three separate churches in three separate contexts where they are trying to do mission as both gathered and scattered. The first example is of a rural church. And during a time where their neighboring school was going through an inspection, the church gathered a few people in the church together and one evening to pray for the church. And they said that they were going to take time to pray for the church. We knew the staff were under duress. We knew there was lots going on. And out of that prayer meeting came an idea from one of the ladies in the church. And she then gathered more people in the church on another, at another time, and they began to bake. They made top hats. And they delivered them the next day to the staff room of the school along with a letter to say, we as a church are praying for you and we're also thinking about you and we're here to cheer you on and support you. We think you're great. And they sent that with a letter. It was a very simple idea, but in the staff room the next day, it had a, an incredible impact. Not just, it had an incredible impact on the staff and conversations began to develop. And you know what it did? It emboldened and empowered and helped the witness of the Christian teachers in, already in that staff room to have a conversation about their faith, but also have a conversation about that specific church of which two of them were, were already a part. It was a church that was embedded in the local community um, but by being close in proximity to this school. They already had opportunities to do the assemblies. They already had a few members engaged in RE lessons throughout the year. But at the same time, the minister of the church was also preaching and talking to the church about using the opportunities they had at the school gate. Whenever they were leaving the, the, their kids off at the school gate to engage with people around them. It wasn't one or the other, but they were saying, we as a church together, corporately, can plug together our resources, our talents, our gifts, and we can do something together, but it's also how we live whenever we're scattered. A quick story from the same church, from the same person at the same time. 
was that one man in the church decided to take the morning hello a little bit further with one of the fellow dads at the school gate. Both their kids were four, they were in the same class, and Mark just decided to just say hello, maybe linger a little bit more in conversation. They began to develop a bit of a conversation and a friendship. They exchanged numbers, and Mark invited him out for a a cup of coffee. He actually invited him out of a cup of coffee to learn about what he did in his workplace. Things took a turn in this man's life, and two weeks later, he was in hospital, quite ill. Mark ended up being able to minister to him at a hospital bedside, and within just another two weeks, he had led him to faith in Jesus Christ. All in the space of four weeks, taking the hello a little bit further at the school gate. Mission is both gathered and it is scattered. I want to also share an example of an urban church, of an assistant minister who spent time in the months leading up to July at the bonfire in their local community. He spent time going regularly, chatting to those who were building it, spent time physically there, getting to know the people on their turf. Speaking to him about it, he wasn't a huge fan of the festival or the activities that were going on. He wasn't a lover of it, but he wanted to meet people where they were. And then he said what was interesting was that whenever they ran their holiday Bible club the week after the 12th fortnight in July, he said he began to see and recognize parents bringing their kids along, not onto their turf, but suddenly onto the turf of the church, onto his turf. He says conversations were developing. Suddenly they trusted someone from the church, enough for them to expose their kids to it. It was mission in that context was both gathered and scattered. I could take you to a suburban church as well, a church in the suburbs, who decided that rather than to run everything that they did in the year that lay ahead, on their church premises, that they would look and identify premises or opportunities in the local community where they could take an expression of their church and and kind of have that expression of church within the community, find a more accessible space. So they decided to run their next Alpha, not in their brand spanking new church halls, but instead in a local community center that was right in the heart of a housing area that they wanted to reach. So rather than going to the housing estate and handing out flyers and say, would you come over here and slightly up that hill? Maybe instead of that, they decided to go to the local community to use leaders from that local community who already went to the church to say, would you help lead and run our Alpha course? And would you invite your friends and neighbors? They didn't make a huge advertising campaign because they were only interested in the local community. The, the, the leader in the church who talked to me about this said, we've run more successful alpha courses. We've run bigger courses that have reached more people and seen more people come in. But actually it was in this course that we really access people in this local community for the very first time. But at the same time, the leader was telling the rest of the people on the team, I want you to not just to turn up here on a Wednesday night for these weeks. I want you to be more present. And so they sent alongside a, a team of youth leaders from the church to hang out at the park and do some games with the kids a little bit more regularly. They were saying, would you do your shopping here? Would you take time whenever you're um, at the shops in this local area? Would you take time and be present in the local community? Because they saw that mission was both gathered and scattered. Follow me, Jesus said. But following should always lead to fishing. Follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. That's gathered and scattered. Chris is going to share the next one. Thanks, Rick. Uh, Wonderful to be with you all. Um, I think 
Oh, there we go. Oh, Gallagher and Scatter, we're still there. Come on, Rick, you've had your time. Uh, we're going to move on to innovative and intentional. Uh, my name is Chris. I work for Exodus. And I want to share with you a couple of stories. Uh, but before that, I want to explore something really briefly. Um, you see, I think we have a practical problem when it comes to mission in our churches. And I wonder if you would throw up a show of hands that sometimes when you look at your church bulletin, it can feel more like this than uh, something that is freeing, that is accessible, that is uh, able to be involved in. There's so many things going on that we don't know necessarily where to start. It is that there is a tension of how to do mission. Uh, some of us lean towards the, the sort of ent- entrepreneurial, pioneering, uh, let's have a go and make it up as we go along approach. And others move towards the organized, the tried, the tested approach. Um, and I wonder, maybe more concisely, is this linked to these two words? Is it in the innovative that we see mission come alive or is it in the intentional? Is it in the, the, the entrepreneurial, the pioneering, or is it in the tried and tested, kind of a bit of um, congregation or seminar participation here. So if you feel like when you think of mission, it is more, you naturally, it's not about this is not right or wrong. Again, I'm not trying to set one up against each other. But uh, when you think of mission, what do you naturally lean towards as to how you carry it out? So if you feel like you're more the entrepreneurial, I'll just make it up as I go along, have a go, you know, come up with new ideas, then if you would like to throw your hands up, or give me a second, if you're in the more intentional, I like having things organized and structured, and I I get involved in that, but I don't necessarily know how to kind of pioneer on the spot. Um, If you fit into one of those camps, throw your hands up. So if you're in the intentional, in the innovative camp, pioneering, entrepreneurial spirit, have a go wherever you're at, why don't you throw your hands up? Or if you're more in the intentional, tried and trusted, tested approach, and you know what's happening, throw your hands up. Great, we've got a few of both. Um, And uh, of course, the answer is not one or the other. The answer is both. And we see Jesus adopt a structured approach and intentionality to how he uh, does mission, how he teaches his disciples to do it. But he leaves space for the innovation, leaves space for them to work that out in practice. And so uh, coming off the back of Rick in Luke chapter 10, we see after this, the Lord appointed 72 others. So they haven't been part of the previous discussion in the 12. And he tells them to go ahead two by two. First instruction, go town by town. Second instruction, he says, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you, heal those who are there, and tell them the kingdom of God has come there. So we've got clear instructions. There's clear intentionality. There's some sort of program. If we were to leave from here, it might be go to uh, Port Stewart, and then work your way along the coast to Port Rush, and then maybe you'll get to Port Ballantrae, and then maybe you'll get to Ballantoy, and maybe, you know, work town by town, go in twos and see what happens. But they're sent out like that, but then they have to work out what does that look like. And so we see them return later on in the passage, and they say, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. But that's not part of the instruction. That's not what Jesus tells them to do here. They have somehow caught something, seen something 
innovated, pioneered in the moment because of what the response and what the, the opportunity presents and have led and wor- walked into that and have taken that opportunity because of what is there. There is a, both the intentionality of the instruction and the innovation in the moment. You see, if uh, we're honest, sometimes the transition from Sunday morning to Monday morning can be really difficult, or the transition between the gathered event to the scattered servant is really struggle. It was really difficult, and, and we need both intentionality and innovation to know how to do that. I mean, I'm going to throw my hands up and say, I, re- I mean, when when we go back to you know homes and families and streets, and you have that maybe take that hello to the next step, where does that conversation go? What do I say? How do I respond? What, I mean, there's not a manual to do it. Um, You see, when it comes to mission, I think Jesus models this. There's only so much we can program. There's only so much we can intentionalize, so much we can organize. And the rest kind of has to be worked out in lives and in practice on streets and homes and families. It has to kind of be, learnt on the job. It has to be pioneered. It has to be innovated as we go. So as Exodus is an organization that I work for, we, we try to partner with local churches in a number of different ways, but there's both space for the intentionality and the innovation. Let me throw up uh, two things here. Oh, that's definitely not what I meant to do. There we go. Thanks, Drew. There we go. And back. Um, we've got the Influencer Academy and Teams, two of the things we're running at the moment, just really simple examples. Uh, the Influencer Academy is, is for young people, but it doesn't have to be about young people. It's really simple. People gather once a week for a few weeks. They learn one thing, one concept, one night. They go and put it into practice in their schools, everyday lives, come back the following week or the two weeks after and share stories of what that has looked like to put that into practice, learn from one another, and then have a go again. So it might be really simple, like pray for somebody in your school. And there's some teaching, there's some intentionality, there's some instructions, but ultimately when a child or a student walks into a school and sits beside somebody in chemistry, they have to work out, how do I take that? They have to innovate, they have to respond to people and situations naturally, not given full-on instruction. And the second thing is, is, is when it comes to teams, we're talking about local, but this is about our local young people involved. And this year we send, uh, we send 17 of the teams that we send out in partnership with the local church, individual local churches. It's really intentional. There's a big machine that runs it, probably like what Drew's thinking about when it comes to camps and missions over the summer. There's a big logistical intentional machine that provides a structure, but ultimately teams have to work out how they do mission innovatively in the context they find themselves. And really simply, I want to finish by sharing two stories of individuals who were both intentional and innovative in how they worked this out in practice. Uh, Both the Influencer Academy and our teams have a simple premise, as I've already said, one concept, teach one thing, and have a go. Teach one thing and have a go. Don't try and grasp all of theology from creation right through to Revelation. You don't have to get, grasp it all in one go. Think one thing. How, what is the story of God in my life? How do I talk about it? One thing. How do I pray with somebody? One thing. 
and then go and put it into practice. So this year in, in, in Spain a couple of weeks ago, we had a team from a local church and the team that I was leading with us. And we spent one afternoon, uh, an hour at each thing, talking about one concept in each workshop. One, what is your story of God in your life? Number two, how do you pray with people on the streets or in your everyday? Two simple concepts. And there's this wonderful story of the, the, the team from the church that were with us. They're in a, a town called Huelva in the south of Spain. And uh, two of the girls who've come on the team are from a Roman Catholic background. And they've found Jesus in the middle of their teenage years and have been involved, got involved in this team, gone to Spain. In the middle of their workshop, they're trying to work out, I don't really know what my story of God at work in my life is. What does that look like? How do I articulate what God has done? Because I come from a, a Christian faith. I come from a, a faith that talks about Jesus, that talks about God. But what does it look like to put that into words and into practice? And then about three nights into their team, they're in a plaza in Spain talking. She ends up, she's 15, she ends up talking with this lady on the street via translator, who is also Roman Catholic and from that background. And she, moved, she has this moment, she talked about to me at the end of the team, this moment where she realized that she had a story to tell that directly impacts this lady who's right in front of her. Now, we have given her really simple tools, really simple instructions. This is how you tell your story. But she has to innovate. She has to respond. She has to work that out as to how I'm going to actually share the story of God. You can't instruct everybody to every word. And they begin a conversation uh, that ends up in her praying for this slightly older, more mature lady. She's 15 and she's talking to somebody in her 40s about Jesus because of her background and her story comes alive in the moment. See, we can do so much programming, but we need the power of his spirit in the innovative, in the pioneering, in the intentional, in the having a go moments. Uh, And the second story is from a guy who was on my team called Connor, and he's been part of the Influencer Academy for a couple of years, learning how to pray with people, learning how to listen, learning how to respond to what God is saying to him about other people and how to pray with people on the street. And so we're sitting in this plaza. I'm literally sitting right here. Connor is right here in this cap. And we're sitting in this moment. And uh, I didn't realize this was going to happen, this story that come after this. So I was taking a picture of the night. And he says to me, tugs me, and he was like, Chris, how good is your Spanish? I was like, I don't know, Connor. I mean, like, I can string a few words together. I can get the old phrase across, but I don't, I don't know where this is going. And he, and he, and he says, well, um, there's a woman over there, and she's got a star on her T-shirt, and uh, God's given me a message for her. And I was like, okay, well, I'm, my Spanish is definitely not good enough to translate the opening part of that conversation, which goes something like, this might sound really weird, but I believe God has a message for you. Um, so, uh, so I go and get my wife, who's fluent in Spanish, and our translator, and I say, so Connor wants to share with this woman over on the other side of the plaza, um, are you happy to go? And she's, my wife's terrified of this. And she goes with him, attempts this conversation, and this lady unfortunately says, I don't want to hear anything about it. But 20 minutes later, this woman comes up to me. We're all wearing this blue t-shirt. She comes up to me and she says, are you one of the, there was somebody who wanted to share something with my sister. She came and told me straight away, but she didn't want to hear it. And I'm just wondering if, if there's anything that, that, and she was kind of thinking that Connor, this guy on my team, was a medium. 
she thought like he had a message for her, that kind of from beyond the grave kind of thing, something like that. And uh, Connor explains a bit more via Hannah about what is going on. And he says to her really simply, look, I don't know what it is, but I've just been practicing this thing at home in Northern Ireland where I've just been listening to God and then praying for people as I feel led. And I just, I can't get over the obedience thing. I just need to do it. I just need to do it. Otherwise it just, it dies in me. And I just feel like God has a message for you that is something along the lines of, look, there's something has happened in your past about your dad. And I don't know what that is, but the, the Bible teaches us that God is a really wonderful, good father, the best father you can have, and he loves you so much. And this girl just starts to cry because her, and obviously for her sister, their dad died when they were five in Colombia, and their mom took them to Spain, and they've been raised in this really difficult environment. And because of Connor's, he's got the simple instruction, how to pray with somebody. He's got the simple thing of just, if you hear something, go for it. But he has to innovate. He has to have the boldness, the rest, the dependence on the power of the Spirit to just go and step across the plaza in Spain in a language he doesn't know to a pe- per- person he's never met before and share the moment of what God is doing in the power of his Spirit. The intentionality provides the training, the simple instruction, the tools. But the innovation has to come on dependence on the Spirit dependence on his power, dependence on his direction to release it in the everyday, in the everywhere. Innovation or intentionality. Throw them together and see what happens. Over to you, Drew. And I just want to talk about our, our last tension, um, which might sound a little bit strange if I'm honest, um, but the way we're going to finish is to think that local mission is for you, but it's not about you. And this is based on uh, what happens when the 12 come back to Jesus back in in Luke chapter 9. And so the 12 have gone. They've seen these incredible things happen. And in verse 10 of chapter 9, we see on their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. Now, what, what what struck me when I read that this week again was that the apostles were obviously excited. And this is what happens. This is why feedback services at the end of a summer are so exciting. When we hear stories of what God has been doing in the lives of young people and adults who step out in faith to serve him, then ultimately, by the grace of God, we are blessed by our service. And so the the apostles come back and they're sharing this incredibly exciting story, what God has been doing and what Jesus has done through them. And Even demons have submitted us, as we've already seen. And rather than staying in that moment and maybe even gathering a crowd and and shouting from the rooftops, look, this, and Jesus saying, this is the kingdom of God come near. Actually, what Jesus does in that moment is withdraw with the disciples. And I wonder, this, this isn't taken from the Bible, so ignore it if you don't agree with it. But I wonder, was Jesus doing that for their own good? Because if they had started to publicly celebrate what had been going on, I wonder was there a risk in their young faith that they might have thought that this was about them, that actually they had done something great, that they had been involved in something exciting and they could go and do it again. But as we saw earlier, this was Jesus's mission. This was his power, it was his authority. They were doing it in his name. And so mission is for us, in that we have to be involved in it. 
It is, it is a command on our lives from our good and loving Father to go. But it's ultimately not about us. It's about his name. It's about his glory. It's about his fame. And so that's why I love things like this, where, yes, I work for SU. Chris works for Exodus. Uh, Rick works for PCI. But, but we're not here to talk about how brilliant our individual organizations are. What we're here to do is to talk about the great God that we serve and the way that we see him at work. And there's things that we do that Exodus don't do. There's things that Exodus do that we could never do. But together we're building the kingdom of God. And this seminar was talking about simple innovation and kingdom partnerships. And I think kingdom partnerships is a particular way in which local mission can happen. And sometimes, if not every time, that means being willing to lay down any, any fame that we might get, any credit that we might be able to take, and actually say that for the greater good of the kingdom of God, I'm willing to take my name totally out of this and let the gospel move forward. And I want to tell you an exciting story of how we've seen that happen within the SU movement, although it's not about SU. Uh, and for the last couple of years, uh, there's been an exciting development in um, in a, a urban setting in one of our missions, where four churches in that urban setting, very close to each other geographically, and already had a good, strong working relationship amongst themselves, but four churches from four different denom- denominations decided that it would be better for the kingdom and better for their community if they each scrapped their own holiday Bible club and did one. And so it is a massive machine that now takes place where we have volunteers from all four congregations now combining to bring all of their strengths, all of their gifts, all of their talents to put on one massive week of outreach into their community for the children and young people there. And they're seeing great fruit from it in terms of their relationships as a church, as churches, but also in terms of the witness that that has for the community. Because it's no longer about we're going to run a holiday Bible club and hope that you come back to us in September and here's all the great organizations that you can do. Actually, they stand on the final night as far as I'm aware and say, here are all of the things that we all do in our local churches. Just go to one of them. Just go plug in somewhere. And it's a brilliant example of, I think, how those four churches have taken the incredibly brave decision to say, actually, this is for us. This is, our, this is a mission that we can get involved in, but it's not about us. It's not about my denomination. It's not about my congregation. This is for the kingdom. And we might get the opportunity to be involved in what that looks like as, as it works out beyond the summer. But I would love us to think about even, even in our own places of work, in our homes, in our, in our um, spheres of influence where we find ourselves, who are the people that we could connect with, who together we could help share the gospel? So maybe you know of one or two people in your workplace who share your faith, might not be the exact same faith as you. I mean, they might not be Baptist. They, they, they might have got something wrong there and not been a Baptist. But actually, why not gather with that Methodist, that Presbyterian, that Pentecostal, and pray for the person, the people around you, in your cubicles, in your office spaces. I, I don't know where that might lead. You might not see any difference made, but you might also see 
someone in your office space asking you, why do the two of you clear off every, every coffee time? It's actually really antisocial and it's starting to bug the rest of us. And then you've got the opportunity to say, oh, I'm sorry, we're not meaning to be antisocial. Actually, what we're trying to do is we just want to pray for our work colleagues because we know there's probably stuff going on in your lives that is difficult and we just want you to know the love of Jesus. And together, by being willing to lay down your own reputation, or maybe it's your church's reputation or the congregation that you're part of, together we can see the kingdom extend, and surely that's what it's all about. Surely the only one who deserves any glory anyway is our Father in heaven. He's the one who has saved us, who has given us a story to share. It is all for him, and he invites us to join in with him. And so local mission, it's about being gathered and scattered. It's about being innovative and intentional. And it is for us, but it's not about us. And what we'd love to do for the rest of our time is, is give you a little bit of space to process some of that, think about it, to think about, uh, well, how could we implement this as we go home? Uh, maybe you're in a position of responsibility within uh, your church congregation or your workplace. Well, then how is this going to happen? What, what changes could I introduce, if any at all? Um, we do have a couple of questions that we want to give you out uh, that you can then take with you. They're not questions that we're going to take back. It's different from the feedback form. Definitely fill that in and give it back. Uh, but our little questions, we want you to think about where are the places in your local context where mission needs to happen now and how are we going to make that happen and so I would love for you to take whether you know the people beside you or not maybe just chat that through with you with them if you're an external processor um, or if you just want some space there's plenty in here uh, but just have a think for, for five ten minutes maybe ten no, five. Uh, and then we're going to do a Q&A if you want to ask any of us any more of the details of the, uh, any of the stories that we've been sharing. So um, can we fire the cards out? And then uh, we'll get, I'll just give you some space and then we'll call you back together if you've got any feedback or questions that you'd like to throw our way. Okay, folks, um, I'd just love to, to get some feedback on that or maybe even some questions and the other two will join me at the front and not leave me up here. Um, apologies earlier for my throwaway mark about Baptists. Uh, the rest of you are all right. Um, so has anybody got uh, any questions or anything even you'd like to hear? Even Maybe it's a bit more of the background to how some of those stories came about or uh, how do we actually take this forward? And I think that's what our heart has been as we've been preparing this seminar. It's how do we actually leave this place with an idea of what to do next? Um, so any thoughts or any questions at all about any of that? So just, um, I should have mentioned for the sake of the recording, I just have to repeat the question and also just make sure that I get it. Uh, so when it comes to particularly thinking about church partnerships and that story that I shared earlier, uh, how do you actually manage if those churches maybe are different in their outlook or, or perception or certainly one is more evangelical than the other? Um, my answer to that would be that it's trying to, uh, it's trying to encourage people to remember what, what matters most um, and so uh, I was actually involved in a team myself last week that um, where we uh, were working in a, a predominantly Roman Catholic community and had the huge support of the Catholic Church for the mission that we were doing, as well as the Church of Ireland and the, and the Presbyterian. The three churches welcomed us and invited us in about nine years ago to start this. Uh, and it raises questions for some people about, hang on a minute, though, I'm not, I'm not sure that I fully agree with what the Church of Ireland said about that or what the Presbyterian said about that or what the Roman Catholic said about that. Uh, for, for, the, for the purpose of why an SU team is there uh, and for the time that they are there, the focus is to tell people about Jesus. Um, and that is the primary thing. That is the primary 
lesson that we want people to go away with. There will, of course, be secondary issues that we disagree on. Um, and and as, I, as I would more than happily say to my team, when you're together as a team, debate to the cows come home. But when you are presenting in front of the children or young people, your job for this week and your call for this week is to proclaim the kingdom of God and proclaim the gospel, as we've seen in, in, in Luke, Luke 9 and 10. And so it, those secondary issues maybe uh, will flare up, um, but actually I think it's, it's, there, needs to be a, there needs to be really decent uh, spiritual leadership there for someone mature enough to say, hang on a minute, that discussion is going to be unhelpful, and it's not for now. The primary focus of why we're here is this. Um, now, when it comes to uh, areas in which churches are involved, church involvement can look like lots of different things. So in that example that I mentioned earlier, it doesn't mean that all four churches provide the same number of volunteers or the same amount of financial support even. It, it, it has got to be relative and realistic for each congregation and what they can provide. But the idea is to, to get involved somehow. So if, you, if you're involved, if it was in that context and a church, one of the congregations maybe had no young people to, to send on team or nobody able to take a whole week off work to be on team, well, maybe they could provide a meal for a team one night and that is how they are getting behind the mission of God in that place. And so it's about trying to see all of the different ways in which people can get involved and you can, you can draw people in, um, in in that way. Is that? I maybe say as well, it's good to unite around a purpose. So actually, uh, that's where projects and programs are actually really helpful because you can say this is the project. We're not asking you to, you know, we're not asking to unify throughout the whole year. We're saying actually, can we do this one project together and um, and then invite people into that rather than, I think sometimes we try to do unity for unity's sake. So it's like we, we get together and we say, what could we do to, to work together? Uh, and then the purpose is unity rather than, the, I think, the purpose of mission, doing mission together, brings unity and breeds unity. So actually you're saying, this is this is the purpose and we're inviting you into this project. We're inviting us to work together with this project. You're kind of, in some ways you draw the pitch and then you say, right, we're, we're, this is the pitch that we get to play in. Okay, I don't know if that helps. And on that note, Scripture Union can provide you that pitch by being an interdenominational movement in which you can umbrella yourself over. Anyway, that's, that's. but it, it can be. And so it's not, it's not a Baptist-run thing. It's not the Presbyterians taking, being the leaders. It's not, uh, you know, it, it's actually, no, let's join together, as, as Rick was just saying, let's join together and do a Scripture Union mission. Or let's join together and send an Exodus team. Let's join together and do something. And, and you can use someone else's kind of umbrella uh, to, to cover over that can be helpful. Great. So how do you, how do you um, kind of welcome people back from mission and then allow them to see that their mission still continues, Chris? Great. Yeah, so uh, something I said earlier on um, in terms of the structure of how we run the thing we do called Influencer Academy, which is in partnership with local churches, and it will, certainly will be. There's nine locations this year. But um, to, to help people make... It's not to try and shift it from being the the one-off to the everyday is really difficult. So how do you do that? You make it so that everyday stories are told regularly, so that it's not the thing you just do in the summer or you just do here. So that is one of the purposes of why we've structured it that way, so that you have one thing you do, you come back, you tell the stories of that, and then you do that over a regular basis so that it becomes not just the thing that is happening in the summer or the thing that happens in this one time, but that it becomes a thing that you can integrate into a more everyday 
life kind of fail. Now, obviously, everybody's going to struggle with that in different ways or be challenged by it or encouraged by it. But actually, I think some of the things that, that we can do as churches really well is, is tell more stories of what God is doing, not just for the story's sake, but actually to hear what God is doing, but also to encourage and give context and real kind of clarity as to what this looks like in an everyday context, not just in the summer or, or, or overseas. Um, yeah, so that's probably what I, Rick's going to jump in here. Always got another two cents. I would say don't just tell more stories, tell better stories as well. What are the stories that you're sharing as church? Is it always about the summer mission trip? Is it always about the missionary overseas? Let's tell those stories, but also, um, are, you know, uh, some churches are doing that this time tomorrow. You know, they're bringing someone up and they're saying, you know, giving them three questions, saying, what are you, what are you going to be doing this time? It's 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning. What are you going to be doing this time tomorrow? And um, tell us um, how we as a church, t- tell us what the challenges are as a follower of Jesus uh, or the opportunities and tell us how as a church we can be praying for you. Uh, and you're raising up the story. You're, you're, in some ways, you're giving other people examples um, to follow uh, and you're saying, Actually, you know what? You can be used by God in all of these different contexts as well. So don't just tell more stories. Tell better stories as well. That also comes to what you celebrate in a church. So what you celebrate will be carried and, and really caught. So if in churches, our churches, if we're only celebrating the people going on overseas mission, then that's what people carry and kind of get in, ingrained into their mind that that's what it looks like to do mission. If we spend some time celebrating and praying for the teachers and hearing a couple of stories of people involved in education or involved in journalism or involved in local business or involved in the local supermarket or if, you know, like if we're celebrating things from a variety of spheres, then that creates the normality of this is what it looks like to be on mission in every day. And we're celebrating those people and we're praying for them and we're raising them up and saying this is normal in our all our contexts. And I think a lot of that is done by the language we use. So I love that um, Exodus's big celebration service at the end of the summer is actually called your recommissioning service. So you've been commissioned at the start of the service, uh, start of the summer to go and do mission, and we will now recommission you into the rest of life. And I think so. So some of the language around, uh, you know, even how we describe our missionary partners in church, you know. Surely we're all missionaries. Is, is there something we need to think through about, about how we... So those are our mission overseas partners or those are our members who... You know, I, I don't know. There's just something about language that I think we need to be... Um, can be helpful. 